Thanks for downloading MyMac Podcast number 207. I'm Tim Robertson, and this episode is sponsored by Other World Computing. The next generation of radio, it's the MyMac.com Podcast. And it's my Mac podcast number 207. We've got a large crowd joining us in the chat room tonight for our podcast roundtable. Like I said at the beginning of the show, I'm Tim Robertson. I'm the publisher of My Mac Magazine. And I'm joined by Guy Searle. Hello, Guy Searle. Hello, Tim. Big news from you this week is what? I, I almost cut my hair. Well, no, actually, I did cut my hair. Now, for those who looked at our Macworld Expo pictures... They will remember you as the very tall gentleman. I st- I'm still tall. With the, well, are you? Okay. Yeah, so no. You, really. you, didn't, you didn't cut off. I thought maybe most of that was like a big afro thing you had going. <laughs> uh, but you had a really long ponytail. You had really long hair in the back. Right. And that's gone now? Yeah, yeah. I, I've had that look for probably four or five years, and I decided I wanted to get it cut. So I went over to the, my to the local you know hair place, and, and I haven't had a, a, a short haircut in a very, very long time. And... Uh, the woman who cut my hair, who was not a native of this country, and English probably wasn't her first language, asked me if uh, the number two setting was fine. And I figured, oh, okay, well, two inches of hair, yeah, yeah, that's plenty. Well, it turns out uh, the number two settings on the clipper is not going to give me two inches of hair. It's actually going to give me about an eighth of an inch of hair, which is exactly what happened. Yikes. Oh, yeah. well. Good time for it right before winter hits, too. That's, that's excellent timing. Yeah, well, I always I always do like to uh, to make sure that, that I'm on the cutting edge of fashion, even when it's uncomfortable. Uh, David Cohen, hello, hello, You're back. You're back, back from we the high seas. We missed so, you, Dave. So, so no uh, African pirates hijacked your cruise ship. I take it. We didn't go to Africa, so um, it would have been a long way for them to come for piracy. I heard those Somalian pirates are pretty tenacious, though. They they come after you. No they go everywhere. Right? Well, I did see some pirates on the ship, but they were only about three feet tall, and uh, I don't think any of them were older than eight. Oh, you never know, though. you got to be careful. So I, I take it you had a good time, recharged your batteries, raring to Ab- go? Absolutely. Uh, and it was interesting uh, reversing back to a podcast listener as, as opposed to a podcast participant for a couple of weeks. I was screaming at my iPod again. Uh-oh, what got you riled up? <laughs> had to be oh, me. It was it was guy <laughs> guy knocking four points off the MacBook because it doesn't have a FireWire port. Yeah, yeah well, you know, everyone has their opinion, and guy yeah. did too. Did you read David Pogue's article this morning, New York Times? Yeah, no, I haven't. It's really good. He he talks specifically. Well, let me introduce you first. Okay. Sam Levin, cool Mac picks guy. We're going to get to your cool Mac picks in a minute. So, Hello. Hello. welcome to the show, Sam. Thank you. Thank you very much. And we've got another guest. We'll get, we'll get to our other guest in just a second after you fill us in about the Pogue miser. Oh, you want me to talk about that now? Yeah, go for it. So David Pogue wrote. You know, every Thursday he does his uh, his technology write up in New York Times, and it was. It was really good. Um, this has been a big bone of contention that they took FireWire out of the MacBook, not the MacBook Pro, but funny enough, they took FireWire 400 out of the MacBook Pro uh, and replaced it with 800. So that's my contention. But anyway, Pogue just it was a very well-written article. He called Steve Jobs and he said, hey, 
you know, what, what's the deal? And Jobs said, get over it. Um, you know, tape, tape is gone. In a matter of five years, no one will be using tape. And that was the big issue is uh, using tape and, and the fact that he's so used to using Firewire. And he's, you know, Jobs is probably right in a few years. It's just going to be SD cards and built-in hard drives. That's all I use now with my camcorder. It's just an SD. It was an interesting. It was an interesting comment on on how because it was directly from Steve Jobs on how Apple is really looking forward with this stuff rather than rather than looking backwards. And right. um, you know, I, I thought it was. I thought it was a really good. It was a really good piece. Well, right. speaking of looking forward, let's look forward and welcome our. New guest. His name is Mike Lee. His website is unitedlemur.org. Uh, he's done a couple little programs here and there on the side for this little device called the iPhone. Uh, hello, Mike. Hey, guys. <laughs> so what's the big product that you've done on the iPhone that everybody listening may or may not know about? Uh, well, our most recent one is uh, Puzzle Auto, the uh, world's hardest puzzle, apparently. World's hardest yes. puzzle? It's harder than Chuck Norris. It's it's pretty hard. Well, now come on, nothing is harder than Chuck Norris. I mean, you know, you got to give credit to the Norris. I mean, no, nothing's well. Well, maybe Guy's ex ponytail that that might have been harder, but other than that, nothing's harder than Chuck Norris. Well, you know, actually, I'm willing to bet you on this. Uh, you know, five dollars on your side and the Puzzle Auto prize on my side, which I think uh, today is eight thousand dollars. Yeah, I remember reading about this, that there's actually a, actually a cash prize on this game, that the first person to successfully complete it actually wins cash. Yeah, the first person to actually solve the puzzle. I mean, there's a game in and of itself. You can get through the game, that's fine. But there's actually a puzzle underlying the game. And if you can actually figure out what's going on with the game, you know, actually solve the puzzle, uh, then you stand to win the cash prize. And it goes up uh, $1,000 each day. So... Today it's eight thousand. Tomorrow it'll be nine thousand. On the first it'll be ten thousand. So you know, Holy literally, crap. it's like, yay! Yeah, you know, play this, uh, play this iPhone game, uh, which you know helps us get started and supports charity. And uh, you know, you can win a, a whole heck of a lot of money if you're any good at it. That's is there, awesome. there going to be a an upper limit to to how big the prize will go? Yeah, after thirty days, uh, when the prize hits thirty thousand dollars, then that's the upper limit. And then if nobody uh, solves it at that point, then we'll just give it to charity and reveal the solution. Oh, okay. Wow. okay, now I have to download it and I, take I, a crack at it. I'm going to figure it out, and then I'm going to wait to the 29th day. <laughs> I downloaded it. I, I downloaded it, and I'm, I'm ready to play tonight. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if there's a cash incentive, I'm ready. You know, the game the game can be a lot of fun, or it can be really frustrating. It, it kind of depends on how you approach it. You really have to approach it as, you know, it, it's a lot like the magic eye, where it, it's not that it's really hard, per se. The harder you concentrate... The long, you know, the farther you're getting from the solution, you really just need to sort of relax and see things in a different way, understand what's going on, and then you'll realize that the answer has actually been staring at you the whole time. So no. a lot of people they sort of play the game and they get really frustrated, uh, and then they just like get really angry at the game. And I say, you know what? <laughs> play the game, and if you if you find it frustrating, then you know just stop, just put it down. Say you know what? Well, the game beat me, and then you know after uh, after it's all you know over and done with, we'll come out with a, a, a you know a one point five. Uh, that'll put a, a much more game-like element on it, uh, you know, put additional gameplay modes on it that'll make it a lot more fun, and it'll actually be an actual sort of product. So there's kind of nothing to lose, you know. Mm. Uh, I think it's a brilliant <laughs> idea. Hmm. Very cool. 
So, Sam, let's get to your uh, Cool Mac picks oh, yeah. before we have to take our first break, oh, and we'll uh, come back and talk to Mike a whole lot more. So absolutely. what do you got for us this week? Uh, well, there's uh, a few cool products, and one of them is a product that's been on the market for the Mac for a while, uh, but was just purchased by Telestream from a company called Verisoft, and it's called ScreenFlow. And mm-hmm. ScreenFlow is a screen recording application. Now, there's screen recording applications that have been on the market, Snaps Pro, there's uh, Jing from your our friends, uh, who is it, uh, Tim? Oh, anyway, a uh, product called Jing, and there's a number of other screen capture products, but, but ScreenFlow is really pro, pro level. First of all, you have to have Leopard. It won't run on anything but Leopard. Um, the recording that you can uh, capture is really, really high-end, plus you can edit anything that you record. So you can use your eyesight. You can, you can narrate anything that you have on your screen. Uh, of course, it's only Mac, and they really do a great job with this product. Um, it's the same guys that make Flip for Mac. That's oh, yes. the same company. Yeah, yeah so I bought this program. It's 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 ninety nine bucks, but if you're doing significant screen capture uh, editing, you move really your, move you really your mic just move your mic just a little bit, Sam. You're getting really hard S's right now. Me? Okay. Yeah, you. Unless okay. there's another Sam here. Oh, there might be. There might be. <laughs> so um, they've done a, a just a very very good job. Plus, you can save it as. Different resolutions. Uh, you could save it as obviously a QuickTime movie, but um, you know they built in a lot of features: core animation, quick look, spotlight, quartz composer. They you know that they harness all that feature of Leopard, and that's pretty impressive. Um, so that's something from Telestream. It's called ScreenFlow, and it's ninety nine bucks. And I recommend it for anyone doing screen capturing. You said you bought this guy. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I haven't had a chance to uh, to really make anything with it, but I, I've played with it quite a bit. And the way that the mouse and window callouts work is, is, is really amazing because you basically you do whatever the heck it is you want to do as far as what's on your screen goes. And then once you're done, you can go back in it and say, okay, at this point I want to focus on the mouse as, as, it's, as it's hitting a menu command, and it'll do that. Or I want to focus on this window over here, and it'll do that. And you can set how long it takes to go from full window to these callouts and then from the callout back to the full window. I mean, there's all kinds of really and, cool stuff that you and, can do. And you can, you can do adjustments on volume pluses, plus video, zoom, and panning. Yeah. So wow. it's, that's why you're paying that kind of money because it's really, in my opinion, pro level. If you go to a lot of online, uh, not online, but uh, who's the guy's uh, smile on my Mac and look at their help videos. They, they use ScreenFlow. A lot of companies use it uh, to do screencasting. And um, so just check it out. It's, if you go to flipformac.com, I put, we place the, uh, the URL on our site. So just click on that. It'll go directly to their site. And you can download a trial version. You want to try. Awesome. Okay. I think you can also kind of use it if you, I mean, it's, it's not really made for that, but you could actually almost use it as a uh, video editor. Yeah. With regular video. Yeah. You know, I actually have a, I have an interesting story uh, with with this application. Uh, sure. I actually used it uh, when I was when I was designing Quasilado. You know, I had to uh, I had to show my attorneys that you know this wasn't like a it wasn't like a lottery ticket. 
you know, there was an actual game behind this. And so I had to sort of explain the game to them. Uh, but, but, you know, it was, it was kind of difficult to explain. And so I was like, I was like, oh, you know, how can I, how can I explain this to these guys really quickly? And so I, I, I bought the app. And I, I just made a little video, like, in my car, in the parking lot at the airport while waiting, you know, for, to, uh, to pick somebody up. Uh, and and, and, I, and I sent it to them. And, uh, like, they were like, oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, we understand where you're coming from. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and, yeah, it made it so much easier. It's a fantastic app. And this thing, you know, this thing won two design awards. Like, this one, like, yep. you know, it, it's like a, it, you know, it's like it won two Academy Awards, you know. It's yep. like, it's a fantastic app. They won app. Apple Design Awards as well. So they've, they've, they've done a very nice job, and that's why it's one of our cool Mac picks today. Our next cool Mac pick is, is from Kronos, Kronos Software. Everyone knows Kronos. They've been around, and they've won numerous design awards as well. And our pick of this week is Soho Business Cards. And, you know, I, I just love this product, guys. It does uh, – it's a business card creator and it's done so well. It includes graphics, so if you need some clip art, it includes that. It harnesses your iLife, so iPhoto. It harnesses iPhoto so you don't have to leave uh, the program to pick up any of the photos if you're going to incorporate those into your business cards. It does two-sided business cards. It does horizontal, vertical. It supports all the different avery size business cards, and I've done every one of my business cards for the last, oh, four years with Soho Business Cards. Now, I mean, Sam, you sent me a package, and in that package, you actually put some of your business cards for App Minute yep. just to show off that you have them. Were those cards created yep. with us? All done with all done with Soho Business Cards. Wow, and it looked really nice. Everyone asked, thank you, everyone asked me, you know, hey, uh, what do you use? And I use this Soho Business Cards. It's nineteen ninety nine. It's twenty bucks. It does. It supports online printing, so I can send this directly to my printer. I mean, a an offset printer, not just my inkjet, because inkjet's fine and it will look okay. But the, you're not going to get eighty pound cardstock into your printer. Uh, no. So what I do is I export it as a, a, a PDF and send that directly to the printer that I use locally, and it's done. When you say printer, you mean a print shop. Absolutely. It's an offset print company, and it will support a direct hook into there. So if you go into uh, Soho Business Cards, they have a a demo or trial that you can use. Check it out, and you can say print to online. And uh, so you could do that if the offset printer company has that hook. So... There's that support as well. But Soho, excuse me, Kronos has been doing really great applications for many, many years, and they've won uh, several Apple Design Awards. Um, and I just can't say enough about this product. And they and make it's only 20 bucks. 20 bucks, and they make a whole slew of other products Soho Organizer Suite, Soho Notes, um, Soho Labels, and you could buy additional graphics. Uh, if you want, from their site directly online. Yeah, the, the Soho Art Pack. Yep, Soho Art Pack. And so, John Nemo, if you're listening to this, because Nemo's uh, always in creating business cards, maybe this is a software you should start looking at, John. And it really kind of looks like an iApp almost. Yeah, it kind of does. I mean, these these guys are they're based out of um, Utah, and that's all they do. I I don't. I believe they don't make any PC stuff. It's all Mac. They also have a great alliance with uh, Avery, 
And um, so you don't have to worry. If you want to create your own cards, print, you know, you need 10 for a business trip or 20. Just go buy the Avery stuff. It tells you exactly which uh, model number it supports. You drag, drop down menu, select it, done. I mean, hmm. in 30 minutes, you can create great-looking business cards, and there's tons of templates built into this product. You know, so, Sam, we really should be bringing our contests back and giving software like this away, stuff that's really useful yep. and that people could really dig. Yeah, awesome. That's fine. So that's from Kronos. It's called Soho Business Card, 1999, and uh, I recommend it. Lastly, it's what I call my cool app pick, as in iPhone application. It's from a company. As in appminute.com. Exactly. And you'll, you'll be able to see it on App Minute. It's Heard from a company. It's, it's a product called Stagehand. And it's from a company called Wuji Juice. I know it sounds funky and fun, but the product is really awesome. So it, it's a presentation uh, product for Keynote. And it only works with Keynote, guys. And you have to have a Mac to run it. Uh, it doesn't work with Windows, of course, because Keynote doesn't run on Windows. And, of course, you have to have a thing called Stage Manager, which is a client that resides on your Mac and over Wi-Fi, you basically turn it on. It sees Stagehand, which is your application on the iPhone. And you can literally flip your Keynote slides and see the slide on your iPhone. Oh, that's cool. So yep. you can have it. It's displaying behind you. Yep. and But you're not facing that. You're facing your audience, but you're seeing yep. what they're seeing on your iPhone. Right. And, and I mean, anywhere Wi-Fi, it supports... Uh, it's $7.99, and I believe it's well worth the money spent. Uh, and plus, you've got, you've got your remote. I mean, it's really cool. Plus, you can actually tap on your iPhone, and it will show up on the screen, the presentation screen. So if you want to start moving your finger around, it supports uh, uh, pinching. It's, it's really nice. Wow, pretty it's, cool. It's called Stagehand. It's available from Muji Juice now. And um, I've been using it for the last oh, two weeks, and I think it's cool. Um, so that's available now, and check out our link, and that's our cool app pick. So you'll find all these links on podcast show notes number 207. And you know, follow the links from our website, mymac.com, and you'll find all these cool products. ScreenFlow, 99 bucks, Soho Business Card Creator, 1999, and Wooji Juice. Wooji. And... Stagehand. Stagehand. Cool, juice. thanks. You got it. Have fun, guys. Talk to you later, Sam. And once again, thanks to Sam Levin for his cool Mac picks. As I said at the beginning of the show, this episode is sponsored by Otherworld Computing, MacSales.com. I was looking up on their site earlier, and you know, a lot of laptop users tend to not take hard drives with them because they're kind of bulky. you got to plug them in. So what you want to look for is a Mercury on-the-go Pro up at MacSales.com. Really good drives. I'm looking at a 250-gig hard drive, external. You can plug it in either FireWire 800, so if you have a brand-new MacBook Pro, right. it'll plug into that. It'll plug into FireWire 400 and a USB 2.0. So no matter what current Mac you have, if it's been made within, oh, I don't know, the last eight years, it's going to work with your machine. And, uh, yeah, it's only a 5,400 RPM drive. It's only 250 gigs hard drive. But you know what? If you're working remotely on your Mac, you want to back that up. So set this up as your time machine, 
and it's going to work for you, and you're going to protect that data while you're working on the road. So thank you very much to Otherworld Computing for sponsoring this episode of the MyMac Magazine podcast. MacSales.com. MacSales.com. So let's get back to Mike. Hey, Mike, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. I'm glad you came on the show with us today. You've got a uh, very storied history in the iPhone development community, but uh, I don't really want to get into a whole bunch of that stuff. I'm more curious on some of these other apps that you've created. And uh, So let's start there. We know all about uh, Puzzle Auto now. What's another one that you might have done or that you actually did do? Not that you might have because you might have done, I don't know, iLife, but you didn't. <laughs> oh, he didn't. Oh, okay. No, so. no, it didn't. Uh, so let's see. Before Puzzle Auto, the one that I did uh, right before that, uh, I was the uh, the official Obama iPhone app. Obama, what is that? Uh, I, I've heard that somewhere, but I'm yeah, 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 yeah. There's a guy, I think. It, yeah, some guy that's named Obama. Something like this. I don't know. They just called me up and said, "Could you help with this app?" And I was like, "What's it pay?" And they were like, "Hella." And I was like, "Yeah." And you know, that's how it happened. No, not really. All that. <laughs> That's cool. So you did the Obama app. It's uh, that's like the number one downloaded app up there right now, isn't it? Um, I don't know. I haven't really been uh, been following it. Uh, I mean, it wasn't just me. There were like ten people on the app. You know, I was uh, one of three uh, Cocoa programmers on it. So how did they approach you, and how did you get involved in it? Uh, well, you know, I uh, I gave a talk at C four, and uh, I, I had mentioned that one thing I was going to start doing was I was going to start making myself available for one hour consulting sessions. Uh, for people who wanted to uh, to make their apps better, uh, you know, just get a good, uh, you know, overall, uh, you know, usability and UI, uh, you know, human interface overview, um, and uh, that basically you would just, you know, donate three hundred bucks to uh, to a charity uh, of my choice, and uh, you know, I would just give you an hour of my time to sit there and look at your app or talk about your business idea or you know or whatever, just make myself available for people, um, because you know I, I always like to help people. Uh, for free whenever I can. You know, people ask me a question and I'll answer it. Well, that's good to know because since we got you on this show here, I've got this rash. And, uh... <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, not really. Oops, hit the microphone. That probably sounded great. Uh, that's cool. I mean, what? I, I I can't imagine that a lot of people are going to turn you down for that. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, it, it's just, you know, I, I figure a lot of people uh, are... are trying to get in touch with me and talk to me about stuff on, you know, unfortunately that means that I sort of end up letting some people down because I can't talk to everybody at once. Uh, so, you know, this way it's, it's a way for somebody to, uh, you know, to, 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 to express how very badly they, they want to talk about their product uh, in the term of a nice charitable donation, which, you know, they can take a tax cut for or whatever. Sure. So that's how the Obama people found you? Uh, well, you know, so 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 when I when when I when I made that announcement, uh, Raven Zachary, who was the you know the ultimate kind of project coordinator for the for the app, uh, approached me and said, you know, I actually uh, I have something that uh, that I think you're going to be really interested in, um, and you know, his idea was, uh, you know, if you if you're willing to work for charity, then I have uh, I've got some charity, uh, and he you know he introduced me to, to to the app and the concept of the app, and uh, you know, I was like, well, you know. Uh, we need to be working on this app pretty much nonstop for the next two weeks. And like I just announced like two days ago that I was going to have an app written in the next, uh, you know, month. So uh, I'm not really sure what I can do for you. Uh, and, you know, and then I was just kind of like, you know what? 
forget my company. You know, this this is more important. You know, Obama getting elected is is way more important than me being personally successful. So, you know, I I, I, I brought my guy Tristan in. Uh, I told them that you know they they should uh, they should ask Louis to, uh, to 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 come in and join. Uh, and and we you know we we got the thing going. Uh, and it was it was you know very much a concerted effort. We were on chat you know kind of twenty four hours a day. Uh, oh, I bet. Like like the ten of us. Uh, getting all of this, uh, you know, kind of ready to go. And at a certain point, they're like, you know, oh, you know, the, the campaign, like, uh, you know, they don't have time to, like, do all the paperwork to, like, to get it funded. And we're just like, none of us thought that we were getting paid anyway. So you know, <laughs> we'll just we'll just do it on our own time. And then they can just sort of endorse it if they like kind of thing, you know, which is kind of how it ended up. So, um, but yeah, you know, I, I really hope that it's out there kind of uh, kind of helping people. And, and, you know, we're just doing what we can to, to, to make our difference, you know. That's cool. I think that's uh, very admirable on your part, regardless of what political party the listener may uh, support. Uh, doing something like this, kind of putting your your own career on hold for a little bit to do something that you believe in, very very admirable. Uh, nice. And don't and don't you think you know it kind of typifies the uh, the attitude to change that the Obama camp has that they're using you know this cutting edge technology and and the, these new devices as a way of spreading the word yeah it absolutely does i mean this is exactly why i support obama you know it's like how awesome would it be to have a president who knows what the internet is and and over, i mean did you guys did you guys see obama you know on the daily show he's making yes, jokes do. he's doing like the whole you know evil hand thing i mean when the hell is a president ever on television joking around you know uh, McCain tries it, but McCain comes across as more doddering when he does it. It's just like, oh, don't do that, dude. You know, politicians, you know, ever since Bob Dole, right, Bob Dole made this mistake of, of, of nobody knew who the hell Bob Dole was. They assumed he was some cranky old man who couldn't move his arm. And after yep. he lost, he ended up going on, you know, The Daily Show and going on Letterman. And, and everyone was like, you know, too late, dude. It's really cool. <laughs> you know, like I would have voted for Dole if I knew he was such a nice guy kind of thing. Uh, and so now, like, you know, all, all of the politicians will go on shows and stuff, you know? I mean, you know, you know McCain went on Letterman, but they do it in a very sort of, you know, stiff and, and, and typified way. Like, other than, I have to say, other than uh, Bill Clinton, when he went on the Arsenio Hall show and played the sax, I mean, that was an awesome moment in, in politics when he showed up and was playing the saxophone. It was just like... Well, that's cool, and I mean, he really reached the youth demographic doing that. Yeah, no, he really did, and that was and that was exactly the thing. You know, that was this idea of you know, what if a president was personable kind of thing? You know, because you know, Reagan was 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 really old, and and Bush Senior was kind of stodgy, and so it's like you know, personable president. And of Wait, course, are, are, are you saying that Nixon Nixon wasn't personable? Is that what you're? That's trying what to I'm say? saying. You know, exactly. Oh, okay, all right. It's like you know, we want we want Jimmy Carter's likability, but not necessarily with uh, with all that ethics. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Who wants ethics in a president? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the people would if they if they were doing their jobs as as, as citizens. Uh, absolutely, and I think a lack of ethics has been the la- the problem in this country for this decade. I was reading on your blog that when nine eleven happened, two thousand and one, obviously, uh, you were actually in Japan. What were you doing in Japan? Um, so you know, my uh, my family is originally from Japan. Uh, and, uh, you know, every, uh, every so often it, it comes to be that, uh, you know, you fly back and you visit the family grave and, and kind of wash things off and, uh, you know, deal with, uh, you know, your sort of responsibilities as, as a member of the family. And, sure. uh, so, you know, that's, that's what, that's what we went to do. And it was actually my first time being there. Uh, you know, I grew up in Hawaii, so. 
How long did it take you before they would let you come back to the country? I mean, I mean, there was like a ban on all flights for a long time. Were you there longer than you expected to be? Uh, it actually worked out really well. We ended up going for for two weeks, and uh, the weekend uh, was like you know the weekend that everything was botched from nine eleven was the middle weekend. So we oh, had sort okay. of like a week for recovery, and so things were were absolutely very strange. Uh, but they were operating very smoothly. And, of course, you know, as you might uh, understand, Japanese airports uh, work very well. Yes, I've never been to one. Yeah, I've been to uh, Narita and um, Okinawa, or, sorry, Naha, and uh, Osaka airports. Very efficient, then? Yes, yes. Uh, The subway systems, you know, especially if you're as big as I am, uh, you'll find to be somewhat lacking, especially during (laughs) rush hour. The trains are awful in Japan. Now, Paris. Yeah. Paris has amazing trains. Uh, so when did you get into programming? Uh, you know, it's always been uh, an interest kind of forever, you know. Um, I, I didn't necessarily pursue it very hard at any given time. Uh, you know, sometimes I tried it. It seemed really hard. I couldn't really get into it. Um, I, I, I kind of uh, managed to get into it sideways uh, when when this whole World Wide Web thing came out and I started, uh, I started writing web pages. Um, and then, you know, that kind of led naturally into doing like PHP and JavaScript and stuff like that. Uh, and then, uh, you know, maybe about yeah, five, six years ago, I started learning Java, uh, you know, wrote Java for a while and, and, you know, so on and so forth. So what was your first computer? Um, you know, the first computer that I could really say was my computer. Uh, I actually got uh, my senior year of high school. Uh, I, I basically had to sell my soul uh, for for a computer in six months of peace, uh, but it was it was the most glorious time of my uh, my life as a miner. Uh, it was a uh, four eighty six DX two sixty six custom built, uh, all top of the line spec. Uh, it was just absolutely absolutely hot hot wicked wicked machine. And then the, that kind of uh, inspired the creativity as far as the programming goes. Then it was that was that the first spark, or was it like with a family home computer on the uh, TRS eighty or something like that. Yeah, we didn't have we didn't have computers in my family. We weren't really computer people. Uh, we were shut the hell up people. So, uh, <laughs> you know, this was something that I that I wanted for myself. And uh, you know, understand, I was I was in high school and it was kind of my first computer. And it wasn't that computers weren't around. You know, we're talking about nineteen ninety four here. We were you know right in the middle of the desktop revolution. I just didn't have a computer. I was kind of the last person to not have a computer. So I finally got the computer. But, uh, you know, I had sort of the, uh, you know, somebody asked me, do you want a, a, a Mac or do you want a PC? And I said, uh, well, I probably want to play a lot of games. And they said, okay, well, then you want a PC, uh, which was sort of lucky and unlucky at the same time. It was unlucky because it was a PC and it sucked and it always broke and it took constant figuring out. But it was lucky because the fact that it took constant figuring out, I basically had to be a programmer just to be able to use damn Windows. Yeah, I've heard that just, from a lot of people in the past. Yeah, I mean, just to get a game to play, you know, I had to, like, you know, you got memory and high memory, and, you know, I'm constantly twiddling my config assist, and, you know, it was, you know, luckily I, I had an interest in it, and it was something that I was good at, but, you know, that's kind of how it came to be. And so I didn't sort of sit in an endeavor to, to learn to write computer code one day. It was like I just started messing with the computer, and the next thing I know I'm, you know, telling the damn thing what to do in its own language. So Apple comes out with the iPhone, and you think that would be really cool to write for as well. Uh, it wasn't so much that as it was, oh my God, the Messiah has come and it is a phone. It was everything that I had been waiting for 
Really? Uh, I literally changed my iChat status to religion iPhone. I, I, I squealed like a girl in the middle of the coffee shop. I mean, <laughs> I, I, was, I was on pins and needles. You have to understand, I slept on the sidewalk uh, bef- you know, in front of the Apple store to make sure that I had a phone in hand as soon as damn possible. Wow. Yeah. So, you like, so, you, so you like the iPhone? Just, <laughs> it's okay. I mean, okay. You know. All right. <laughs> Checking. As a programmer, are you at all interested in the Android platform? Um, well, you know, I, I originally learned how to program in Java. Uh, Java was sort of my first compiled language. It always has a soft spot in my heart, the way that a, an authoritarian Catholic school would have a soft spot in my heart. <laughs> uh, you know, in, in, in your, wicked, uh, your wicked fantasies that you don't want to tell your spouse about, you, you're programming in Java. Uh, but for everyday life, uh, it's not really anything that I have any interest in. Uh, I, I don't bear it any ill will, um, but personally, I just think that uh, nothing good has ever been designed by committee, and as sure as hell, wasn't written in Java. So you eventually started programming on the iPhone. You launched your applications right at the time that the iPhone SDK uh, 2.0 software, I should say, came out, uh, and had a lot of success right at the beginning of uh, the, one of the developers for the iPhone third-party platform. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was all over it, you know, uh, my uh, my coworker Lucas uh, was involved very early on with uh, the hacking of the phone when it first came out. You know, because you know we just we couldn't wait to program it. You know, it, it was all we wanted to all we wanted to do. And uh, you know, I, I was working on my first iPhone app before the SDK came out. I was just I was working on it. You know, as a Mac app with the iPhone in mind. Uh, and then you know I just sort of ported it to iPhone when when the iPhone SDK came out. Um, I think that by the time uh, by the time we could actually ship applications, I, I had written maybe six or seven. Uh, or you know, written or or or, or been otherwise uh, involved in, um, you know, writing them myself and 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 assembling uh, teams to write them at the same time. What were the big applications that you were writing then? Uh, the first one I I, I wrote was uh, was Jot, um, and unfortunately uh, I ended up getting uh, uh, recruited by by Tapulus before uh, before I got to finish Jot, so it didn't quite uh, it didn't quite get my my my, my last little bit of uh, of punch on it. Um, but you know, most of the application, uh, you know, the audio engine, uh, of course, is is uh, Kevin Avila's engine, like everybody else uses. But that was kind of my first time messing with that, uh, and it was kind of my way learning my way around navigation controllers. You know, it was it was sort of like it was my little sample project uh, that I kept working on to to keep up with everything as as things changed. Um, and you know, so it, it's a really good project, uh, really really well engineered, uh, a really good product, uh, which I which I actually enjoy a lot. Um, and then, of course, I you know I, I went to Tapulus and, and worked on a, a, a bunch of projects, uh, some of which have uh, not even shipped yet. Um, and then uh, you know kind of led the team in developing a bunch of other projects, uh, and you know kind of pass code around uh, back and forth and, and, and basically do our thing. You made a lot of news uh, oh, about what three months ago now uh, about when uh, you left Tapulus. What's it like to be in the spotlight like that, where all these different websites writing about you, um, and you're making the news yourself? You are the news. Is that kind of an odd situation to be in? Uh, well, you know, the thing is, when I learned how to do this, you know, I didn't learn how to do this in school like most people do. I learned how to do this by apprenticeship, you know, the old-fashioned way. I learned it like a craft, um, you know, and, and, and the person who mentored me, uh, my master, if you will, was, was Will Shipley. Uh, who is you know the 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 quintessential uh, developer slash celebrity, you know uh, you know he's 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 been called the Paris Hilton of of 
of the Mac developer world. And, and you know, it, not that uh, he's, he's sort of a Paris Hilton type person, but just because, you know, people are interested in him for no uh, sort of conceivable reason. He has tons to offer, but people are just so interested in him. It's like, it's like, my God, people get a life, you know, just a yeah. guy. Um, and so because I, I followed him around for three years, um, you know, I mean, I was, I was groomed to be famous, you know, I was groomed to be a celebrity rock star developer. Um, you know, it was like learning to play guitar from, uh, from Pete Townsend. Right. Going yeah. to be good. Hmm. So having, so I, having, um, having developed on both sides of the iPhone fence from, you know, from within the SDK and also, you know, on, on the jailbroken side, which you prefer? Oh, the SDK, hands down. Oh, yeah? Developing hacked stuff sucks, absolutely. <laughs> right, okay. You don't, you don't miss the freedom of being able to hack your way into different parts of the phone that you, maybe you can't do with the SDK? That, you know, the thing is, that's, that's false freedom, though. You know, I mean, this is, this is the trap that, like, Linux falls into. You know, it's this idea of, you know, everything must be open. You know, everything must be, be an option all the time. And it's like, no, here's a better idea. How about the people who actually know what the hell they're doing you know, sit down, figure out the best way for everybody, and then everybody can do it that way. And then the very, very small amount of people who want to do it a different way can go have their own crazy operating system. I mean, this or is the way that it has to be. Or, or go, to a, go to the Android Google phone. Exactly. And that's why I have no yeah. interest, you know, to be on that platform. Yeah. And, you know, I was only on jailbreak to, uh, to practice for, uh, for the real thing. So, Mike, what's United Lemur? So United Lemur is my company now. It's basically, you know, my dream as I conceived of it, you know, as I was, you know, thinking of, okay, my apprenticeship is over. It's time to do my own thing. What am I going to call it? And I decided what I wanted it to be, and I was going to call it United Lemur. But then I ended up getting recruited to do this Tapulous thing, and so it was, you know, it was called Tapulous. And that was fine, because at the end of the day, it's not about, you know, me. It's about getting the job done. And so, you know, we talked about all of this charity stuff and all these things I wanted to do, and it all seemed, you know, hunky-dory. Uh, you know, then things didn't go that way, and so I was on my own again. And so, okay, now the dream is just me again, uh, and, you know, a lot of the people who have been sort of following the dream, who followed me to Tapulous, and then, you know, followed me from Tapulous, uh, you know, whether I wanted them to or not, um, <laughs> you know, not nothing against the guys. It's just, you know, I, I'm not recruiting anybody. You know. Gotcha. They want to be by, you know, the, the apprentice of Pete Townsend. Kind of thing, you know? Yeah, it's exactly the same thing. You know, people are following me the same way that I followed Will. Uh, and that's to be expected. And, 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 and I'm, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a sign that, um, you know, I, I can pass on the things that I was taught. You know, because I consider the knowledge that I was given by Will to be a gift. And, and you know, the unfortunate thing about Will is that he has been unable to sort of give this as widely as, uh, you know, as one would hope. And so, you know, I'm able to, to take what he's done and go further with it. You know, learn from his mistakes and sort of further his vision, and and you know it, it's 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 a great honor and it's a great responsibility that I take very seriously. And the vision is, the vision is that capitalism was never designed to be an exploitative action. Capitalism was designed to be the salvation of humanity. It was designed as a way to free people from the the ideas of wealth that had you know held them back. The idea that there's only so much gold in the world, and if you have the gold, then I have to take it from you, or else you're going to take it from me. It was this idea that, actually, if we all just cooperate, we'll find that the economy is 
composed entirely out of simply you know, what we do. It's simply the way that we transact value amongst ourselves. And so we can actually just find happiness by doing what we want to do, you know, doing a craft that we dedicate ourselves to and do most efficiently, and then we simply trade with each other, and it all works out in the end because everybody gets what they want. Wealth is not gold. That's just a rock that you find in the ground. Wealth is happiness, and this is the way that everybody can be happy. But this has been turned around, and so people think that, you know, there's two ways that it's done in the world, either dog-eat-dog or violent revolution. And, you know, the idea that's been, you know, sort of passed down to me and, and, and you know, which I fight for is that actually we can all, you know, have a, a, a sort of self-serving way of looking at things that can still, you know, make things a lot better for everybody. You know, you just have to kind of, you know, calm down a little bit and, and you know, be willing to buckle down and, and learn about things and, 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 you know, learn about the economy and, and money and value and, and, and you know, kind of what's going on. Anybody? Guy? No, I'm good. I'm just listening with rap fascination. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's it's really it's about it's about an altruistic way of making money. It's about um, you know making money to further the common good. Exactly. It's it's about you know a business that is dedicated not to making money but to making happiness because that's really all that money is intended to be. You know, money is just a store for our own happiness. And so, as a company, if we realize that as a greater goal then we can actually accomplish the same goal that we were accomplishing before, but, you know, we can do it in a way that doesn't hurt people. It doesn't cause, you know, toxic waste. It doesn't cause, you know, violent boom-bust cycles like we see, uh, you know, with the crazy crap that's going on now. And that we can actually, you know, we can actually get by and, and, and have a happier life, you know, with less by focusing on what's important and, you know, getting back to, to, to you know, the real nature of things. And, you know, working at Delicious Monster was more than just, you know, writing software. Yeah, we did that. We did that a lot. But it was also about, you know, going to farmer's markets and, you know, learning about food and coming to appreciate, you know, the, the real and wonderful beauty and sources of happiness in the world that, you know, is available to everybody uh, if, if, we, if we can just sort of get a little bit of perspective. And so the company is sort of a living embodiment of those ideals. And the idea is, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll show you how you can be a successful company and not be dicks. <laughs> sounds sounds like a yeah. Uh, it sounds like a plan. Yeah, definitely. I like it. I like yeah. it a lot. I, I wish more people had the the altruistic spirit that you are embodying in your software and your company and in your personal life. Did you learn all this from your parents? Was these the kind of lessons that your parents taught you? You know, here's the thing about a hero. <laughs> uh, you know, you can you can learn from a hero's mistakes. As well as, as from their successes. Know, as well as from their successes. And so, you know, like a lot of people criticize me because, like, Che Guevara is one of my heroes. And, you know, they point to some of his mistakes and they say, you know, oh, he was a terrible person. And it's like, no, he was a person who did a lot of wonderful things and who made some terrible mistakes. But you can learn from both sides. And you have to learn from both sides because, you know, that's, that's where, where, where all of the really good wisdom is found. And so, you know, to say that I didn't learn this from my parents would be a disservice to them because at the end of the day, I learned from my parents what I learned from my parents, for better or for worse. Now, you know, my parents uh, are neither one of them are, are, are altruistic, in fact, quite the opposite. Um, and I would say that they're actually learning to be altruistic from me. Um, and, and, you know, that's, that, that's fine. I don't think that's surprising nowadays anyways. I, I, I see that a lot. Um, the people that I learned a lot from when I was a, a, a young child, aunts and uncles and, and people like that, 
they come to me for with questions or they want to talk to me about stuff that they really don't know anything about. Hey, did you hear about this? What What is this about? And it's kind of strange that you kind of become from a, a child, you get to a certain point in your life, and the people that you used to ask questions of start asking you the questions or you start doing stuff that kind of inspires them. It, it's, it, it is kind of a, an odd situation to be in at first, but then you kind of get used to it and... I, I'm totally used to it now. Did you find that it was kind of weird when your parents started coming to you with questions and and listening to your views on things? No, I mean it makes a kind of sense because when you think about it, if if you learn from a mentor, you know, if you learn from a hero, if you learn from anybody, uh, you know, and you learn, you know, all of the things that they ha- themselves have learned, but you also learn from their failures. Inevitably, you're going to surpass them. And they're going to sort of, you know, look with wonder at how much farther you've gotten because you didn't have to suffer through some of the things that they had to suffer through and you didn't have to learn some of the things that they had to learn. Um, and, and so, you know, it wasn't really well, as, as long as long as you're willing to listen. Yeah, as long as you're willing to listen. Exactly. Exactly. Well, we're going to take another quick break and then we're going to come back and I've got a, a special treat for everyone. So sit tight. <laughs> Uh, let me quickly run down what's going on up at MyMac.com ever since our last podcast, number 206, last week that we did with Freeverse. Um, Guy Searle, you've got Isisar... <laughs> yeah, and you know, the thing is, David Cohen really doesn't want to get into the subject, but we're going to anyways, <laughs> just to irritate him. Isisar, okay. open computers really cheaper than Apple's Macs. What's the deal? Uh, yeah, I, I basically took a couple of the Star machines, the open computer, not the open pro, which is more like a like a Mac Pro and compared them to Reaper. Except for the except for the quiet factor and the elegance and you know that stuff. Yeah. Right. And uh compared them to a couple of, of iMacs, one refurb and and one kind of mid range iMac. And uh looked at, at some of the, the the different features that each has and expandability, things along those lines. And kind of went over each one of those each one of those things that I talked about it in the comparison and kind of came away with the impression that as long as you're willing to accept that you're going to have a Macintosh computer that's really possibly very loud and you'll get no support from Apple and that you may not be able to upgrade it beyond 10.5, yes, it can, it can be less expensive to have a Star open computer. And we still really don't know much about this computer, and they're kind of shady. Yeah, exactly. And they okay. changed addresses four times before they uh, finally started putting any machines out. <laughs> uh, so did, there's did nothing. You, you want so, to attack so, them there, David? Well, uh, all I'm saying, all I would say is, what you're basically doing is you're combining the um, the elegance and the superiority of Mac OS X with the crappy build quality and <laughs> bugs and difficult problems you get with a Windows machine for around about five hundred fifty dollars. Yeah, is, is this well, without without you're... actually without actually having messed Don't, around with any of them? Yell guy. No, I'm sorry. Uh, w- without actually having tried one out or actually even ever seen one, uh, I, all I can really go by is is what I've heard on the web. And the only thing I've heard on the web was uh, some reviews that came out when they first started putting computers out that they were very, very loud. 
Now, what yeah. they're like now, I have I, I really have no way of knowing. And I'm not actually recommending a Psystar computer to anybody. You know, if if you really want to have the and I'm using my fingers as quotes here, Mac experience, then you should then you should have an Apple Mac because it's going to last you much longer than probably any Psystar computer ever will. Yep, yeah. very true. I I, this, this I know this idea of all time, honestly. These computers like, why would you ever do this to yourself? Your time would have to be so valueless. I, I'm, I'm with you 100%. Yeah. There's a lot of people out there yeah. whose time is valueless. The only people that I can see this appealing to are is the hacker mentality type of user right. that just wants a computer yeah. and ha, 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 it's a clone of an Apple and it's, you know... It's breaking the law. That's breaking exactly the law, right, you know? right? I mean, like, and what if Apple, I said, Apple hey, isn't getting anything out. from this? Right. Yeah, I know. Go like, ahead. what if I said, hey, check this out. It's a Toyota, okay, except I built the chassis myself out of crap in my kitchen. You take the egg beater and you spin it really fast and off you go down the road. It's like, you know what? I, I You keep your chitty chitty bang bang computer. I'm going to go ahead and use a computer that, <laughs> you know, somebody will actually support later on, you know? Yeah. And I don't, I don't think Psystar are, um, you know, in a position that they're necessarily selling hundreds and hundreds of these machines. So, so it definitely is is a niche product. And I think, I think, you know, to the hacker, it, it possibly does appeal to them. I mean, I, I've, I've, I'm, I'm, I've, I've hacked OS X onto uh, onto uh, one of the one of the little netbooks, and it was in, an interesting exercise, and it works fairly well. But every time and there's an update to OS X, I kind of have to, you know, suck in air through my teeth and try and figure out how to get it on there. And but you um, know that that's a different, that's totally that's different. A, yeah. That's that's a device you own um, that you can always restore back to normal if you want to. Exactly, and, you know, and, and it's just kind of messing around. You're not trying to make a profit off of Apple's R and D efforts and marketing. And, and to me, I think that's the other fundamental weakness of the Psystar model, which is the you know, if you are into hacking OS X onto a PC, why wouldn't you just go out and buy a, a cheap PC and figure out how to do it yourself rather yeah. than get them to do it for you? Well, they, they've got to be selling. They've got to be selling some of these machines because they have a relatively large facility in Florida. I actually Google Maps. Well, they sell PCs, too. I mean, they, they're not yeah. selling just Macs. They're selling PCs. Right. Well, they're, they're making some money. So, you know, I have no idea if these machines are any good or not. I would love to play around with one just, just to to try it and compare it. I would give it a fair review. No, I tell I you, think- the market for this is the market for this is like is China and and you know developing countries. Yep, exactly. I have no idea. Apple has no presence. Uh, they're ripping off the operating system essentially for free. You know, they're throwing in you know a dollar twenty five worth of stuff from fries, and you've got yourself a computer. I mean, that's that's really what this is about. And you know, bad news is good news. So at the end of the day, everybody's going to have heard about these computers, and they're going to be able to you know go into some into some African nation or something and, and make a bunch of money. It's, did you see the uh, the Chinese people are really ticked off at Microsoft right now because Microsoft yeah. released an X an, uh, an update to XP that if you have a, a hacked copy of XP, right. it changes black. your desktop background black. to black and puts you know <laughs> anti piracy messages on the screen and it's oh. it's really ticking them off. They're like, "What? You can't do this!" And to which I Microsoft paid for this. Is, oh wait. Yeah. You know what though the thing the thing about this though is that uh, this kind of crap gets triggered off all the time and I mean this this sounds you know kind of just kind of silly 
But, uh, you know, I have actually, you know, seen Windows machines, like, you know, Will's Windows machine, you know, no fewer than 10 or 20 times in the three years that I worked with him, uh, would just lock up inexplicably because, you know, something or other would happen, the machine would get upset, it would decide that it had been pirated, he'd have to, you know, he'd have to call Redmond, you know, it would take hours of his time, it was completely ridiculous. And at the end of the day, you know, for what? You know, because, because you know, people are, are, are pirating the operating system. I mean, it's like, you know, you just can't, you can't, you know, you can't punish your customers for the fact that some people are going to steal. It's just completely the wrong way to think about the problem. Well, they're they're treating everybody like thieves instead of treating everybody the way Apple does. Apple still doesn't require a serial number or a password or anything when you buy a copy of Mac OS X. And you know what the funny part about that is 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 if you buy a copy of, of OS X or OS X, uh, you have two choices. You can get the single license version or the five license version, and the difference is one box says single license version, the other box says five license version. Yeah, they, they it's completely on the user to be honest about it. Right. Yeah. yeah. And this this is a principle that you know I, that will like preached very firmly is that you know we don't want any pissed off customers. Customer yep. will give you the right amount of money because the customer wants to give you what you deserve. If you have to force the customer, if you have to coerce the customer into paying you for your crap, then you're doing something wrong. And this is why, you know, focusing on, on the pirating is moot. If your product is good enough, no one will ever pirate it. As, yep. You know, because people won't yeah. want to. It goes back to customer service. And, and uh, a and prime example of that is I have a local grocery store. It's not really local. I mean, it. it's not a large chain, let me put it that way. They're, they had like 12 stores in Michigan. And uh, I go there occasionally, but not very often. And one of the times I was in there about a year ago, it was when word came out that they're opening up a Walmart like a half a mile down the road. And, of course, the manager to me is bemoaning the whole thing. This is horrible. This is going to put us out of business. And uh, I was having a chat with them. I said, well, you know what? The counter to that is if you offer better customer service. Now, I'll give you a prime example. Um, I'm walking up and down the aisles. I can't find something. I have to come to the front of the store and ask someone for help. What if every 15 minutes you send someone up and down every single aisle just to see if people are finding it? You can really tell if you look at someone whether they need help or not. You can say, oh, can I help you find something? Or if you see a little lady and she can't reach the top shelf, you do that. People are willing to spend a little bit more money for good customer service. And he completely agreed with me, and he goes, you know what, you're 100% right. And you know what they've done since then? Nothing. So I don't feel sorry for them when Walmart moves in and, and crushes their business because they're not offering anything other than a more expensive price. They're not offering better customer service. They're not offering better um, selection. They're not doing anything. And they're just complaining that Walmart's moving in and it's unfair competition. Well, you know what? Compete against them to your strengths. You know the customers. You know the community. You've been here for 25 years. Just give them good customer service, and they'll keep coming here. Yeah, they don't just keep running. Yeah, go ahead. Our, our local Safeway, they, they just opened up this great, big, huge Safeway. And I, you know, I mean, it's a big national chain. I figured, okay, well, it's a big store. I'm going to have to search around for everything. But I constantly see people that work there going up and down the aisles, you know, can I help you? You're finding everything okay. And I was really kind of surprised at, at that kind of customer support from a big chain like that, and it's exactly what it was you were talking about. That's that's pretty much the only grocery store I go to, and there are cheaper grocery stores around. 
Yeah, it's it's customer service, and that's what and, people want. Whether it's and, software or groceries, or it doesn't matter. They want good customer service. And just just to bring it back to sort of you know where where we started with with SciStar and Apple. I mean, there was that comment from Steve Jobs recently after they launched the new um, MacBooks and MacBook Pros. That he said said we don't know how to you know they were asking about the netbook market. He says we don't know how to build a five hundred dollar computer that that isn't, isn't a piece Doesn't of junk. Suck. Right. Uh, and and you know everyone was was there was speculation that that you know and market analysis saying if they launched a eight hundred dollar laptop they would clean up and you know. The market share would spike and, and all this sort of thing, yeah, well, they're, and they're they're they didn't up now. do that. Well, exactly, they they <laughs> didn't do that. They've launched a premium product with premium pricing. It's all they're all actually slightly more expensive than they were before, and they're basically saying judges on our quality, um, judges on our service, judges on what you get, uh, and, and pay, the, pay the additional price. Exactly, and pay the additional price, and people are happy to do that. You know, and, what uh, cracked me up about this that announcement when he said that. I thought, yeah, you don't know how to make a $500 cuz it would be cra- but you do know how to make a $599 Mac mini. <laughs> yeah. I was like, you got to uh, it's a good thing he said $500 instead of $600. Well, and the, whole, the whole thing about the Mac mini is that it it guy, it, guy, guy, guy. Yes, you were yes, yelling yes. constantly. You got to stop I'm it. I'm sorry. I like yelling. I'm, I know you're excited, but you got to stop <laughs> yelling. You're okay. you're killing the listeners. There's like 500 people right then just turned down their stereo in the car because they're like, geez, oh, peace. You're killing them. <laughs> but as far as the Mac Mini goes, if if Apple used standard computer parts and not tried to shoehorn in laptop parts, they could make it less expensive. Sure. Maybe. Yeah, but the, you, by the same token, you know, they didn't carve their laptops out of, alu- out of aluminium blocks. They could make them cheaper, but they don't want to do that. And that goes back to the point we were saying. It's about it's about a premium price product. I, everybody I know who has a Mac Mini loves the fact it's so small. I mean, it's it's one of the unique selling points of the computers. I know several people who literally the only reason they bought a Mac is because they could get a computer that fitted in a box that size, sat on their desk. Um, you know, and I can go back to your point, uh, Tim. I, I think I think he was talking about notebooks as opposed to uh, to computers. But yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm I'm hoping that um, that the Mac Mini is is the next machine that's going to get a, a a bit of uh, tender loving care. What do you think, Mike? You think that uh, the Mac Mini is going to get a bump, or you think it's going to go away? Uh, you know, I think that uh, if there's demand for the Mac Mini, then it's going to get a bump, and if there isn't, then it's going to go away. Uh, you know, Apple uh, obviously is going to give the people what they want, but at the end of the day, you know, the Mac Mini is not about you know trying to have a Mac that's in this per- little perfect little price range. Uh, the Mac Mini is all about trying to actually you know make a better you know little computer. That's yep. kind of the difference. It doesn't really matter. You know, people don't really care about the price as long as it's within the reasonable range. Yeah, now, if they're the going to buy a Mac. The range might be low. The reasonable range might be small. But, yeah, at the end of the day, you know, what they want to know is, is, you know, and the thing about the Mac Mini is that it's, you know, it's not just an exercise in, in, in cheapness. It's an exercise in smallness. And Apple is willing to, you know, have more expensive components in order to, you know, make a more perfect computer. And, you know, they're really going for that best balance of, you know, awesomeness plus price. And I think that they've done a good job. I think it's a great machine. I think it's a very popular machine. But then again, so is the Q. At the end of the day, you know, does it make money or doesn't it? We don't know. They don't release those numbers. So there's simply no way of knowing. And I've made the argument that Apple wouldn't sell anything if they weren't making money on it. 
and they're still making the Mac Mini four years later. So it's got to be making some money. Uh, let's finish up with what's going on up at MyMac.com and then uh, get to the last thing I've got here. Uh, David Weeks did a McAlley PowerLink 3-in-1 battery pack review. Uh, Frank, a good friend of ours, he reported to us from the Photo Plus Expo. Uh, I didn't see coverage of this Expo anywhere else. So no. it's kind of nice to get. It's not a big report. It's like four pictures and some text, but it's definitely worth checking out. Rich Lefko did a Kinston power review. It's a way to charge USB devices that you can plug directly into this, and this plugs into a power outlet. And finally, Owen Rubin did a really extensive coverage of the Rickshaw Bagworks. It's a review, but it's also a look at the factory where these bags are made, the owner of the company. It's a really fantastic and well-done uh, article, so thanks very much to Owen for that. And over on the blog side, I've got episode one of the Unbox. And uh, I'll probably stop talking. I'm going to I'll go into the Unbox maybe on the next episode of uh, the MyMac Podcast. But go up and check out the Unbox. Basically, companies send me stuff, and I open the box and take pictures, and I write about it as I'm opening it up. And uh, I think it's kind of fun to do. And uh, so far, the response has been very positive. And a ton of companies are saying, yeah, we want to send you something. Do the Unbox. So should be fun. Uh, lastly, before we end the show, and, I, and I'm, I'm hoping this will be fun. Uh, everyone got the picture that I sent, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay, the picture, and I'll put this in the show notes so you'll let, you guys will actually see it too. Uh, it's a board game. My wife loves these thrift stores. She just, I, I don't particularly like going to the thrift store. I don't know why. I just, I don't like them. But my wife loves them. She, she can find brand new stuff in there for 99 cents. It blows me away. You know, brand new pair of jeans, fits her perfectly, 99 cents. And, uh, so we go to the ship, the, <laughs> the ship thrift store <laughs> yeah, there's a Freudian slip there yeah it kind of was but uh, on the last trip to the I don't know which one it was to be honest uh, usually I'll kind of leave her and kind of walk around the store and I can see, personally I get to see everything in about five minutes and I go no they don't have anything here I want and I can leave for her it takes three hours and she always finds stuff she needs so she's awesome when it comes to that so this time I'm looking around and I see this trivia game Still in the wrapper. It's never been open. It's called Computer Trivia. And you could tell that it's old because old because it has these uh, faux laser things that's coming down off the top of the box to spell out Computer Trivia. It's very, to me, it looks like a 1980s thing. And it yeah. says right on it, no computer necessary, which, you know, is great. So I turn it over, um, and it was uh, copyright 1987 from Microm Incorporated. And I thought... How I have to have this, and it was a dollar ninety nine, and plus, well, they had a sale going on. Everything was like half off, so I spent ninety nine cents for this, <laughs> and and I was like, I, I have to, I, I got to know what's in this box. It, it's ninety nine cent. Maybe it'll be it'll be a little bit of fun on the podcast, and um, and it is a board game, but I don't really care about the board game. But it comes with these two little books in it, volume one, volume two, instructions, questions, and answers. So this is from 1987. I'm going to read you guys a couple of questions, see if you guys can come up with the answer, okay? Okay. <laughs> uh, well, we got a programmer here, so he's, and Mike's going to know. <laughs> I'm a lot dumber than you'd think. What is the technique of scanning all the odd lines and then going back to scan all the even lines called? The actual question. Interlacing. Uh, that's what I thought. Let me, uh, where is the, okay, this is question set 121. 
Where are the answers? I saw them. This game is very poorly designed. Yeah, okay, the answer is interlaced scanning. <laughs> so you're right, interlaced. Uh, true or false? WordPerfect allows you to only search forward for a phrase. David Cohen. Uh, okay, now you have to speak up louder, guy, because I can barely hear you. Um, let's see. I did, uh, now, I have used WordPerfect before, so I'm going to say that's true. It's false. You can search forwards and backward. You know, the fact okay, that um, they actually have to mention that is uh, <laughs> <laughs> a god-awful word. <laughs> that, that, yeah, that was, a, that was an added value feature of WordPerfect. Yeah, I can search that. forwards or backwards. Are you still there, guy? Yeah, hello. Can you hear me? Yeah, you're fading out a little bit, but I think so. Uh, this, this one's for you to answer first. Okay. Which of the following companies did not join together in 1980 to develop Ethernet? Intel, DEC, Xerox, or AT&T? I know AT this one. Hey, you're right. <laughs> I knew that one, actually, which is uh, kind of surprising. Okay. Mike. This is going to be a hard one. Yeah, that's what she True. said. <laughs> yeah, that's what she said. Yeah. Oh, we have another Office fan. <laughs> uh, true or false? A low-end optical disc, CD-ROM or worm, has a capacity of 200 megabytes plus. Uh, I, I mean, yeah, that's a reasonable statement. Okay, it's true. You're right. <laughs> they don't put the answers on the... Some of the answer pages are before and some are after. This is really kind of odd. This isn't trivia. These are actually questions that nobody knew the answer to. Yeah, yeah. No, th this is this is the questions for the board game. Um. Bu -bu 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 -bu. Okay. David Cohen. Yep. W what is a cluster? Cluster, as defined by DOS. Star. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, a cluster is a unit on the floppy disks or the hard drives. Uh, cluster equals a set of content. Uh, I can't read it. It's all smudged. And this is brand new. Uh, yeah, you're right, basically. <laughs> it's all smudged. I think it's the ink. It is. Well, I'd be really ticked if I was actually playing this game and I, and I couldn't read it. Uh, no, no one will know that anymore. Oh, okay. Here we go. This is for Guy. You ready? Ready. Mr. Matt Guy? True or false? Let me make sure that this is... Yeah, false. Right. Uh, true or false? The IBM PC Junior keyboard was more well-received than the original PC keyboard. <laughs> Actually, I think that's true. Uh, false. The Junior's keyboard had small buttons instead of keys and was universally hated. <laughs> I think I think I, it wasn't just the keyboard and the PC Junior that was universally hated. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it might have been more than the keyboard. Uh, finally, last question. And this, honestly, guys, this this first volume goes to a hundred and oh wow, they start pages over. That's weird. Like a hundred and eighty pages. So <laughs> we're not going to get to all of them. Uh, Mike, you get the last one. PC Expo, <laughs> right there alone, you know, this is old, is held each fall at McCormick Place in what city? I know that one. Cleveland. No. No, it's Mike. Where's, where's McCormick Place at? 
I just, I just, I just couldn't care less. <laughs> now that's a classy answer. <laughs> it's Chicago PC Expo. I actually do remember uh, PC Expos in Chicago. I'm only two and a half hours away from Chicago, and uh, PC Expo was a big deal for a lot of people back then. I never went because I wasn't at computers in the '80s or for well, what half of the '90s. I, I wasn't into them the way I am now. But I remember the PC Expo. It was a huge, huge deal. And I always thought that it was cool that it was right here in Chicago area, and uh, I could go to it if I wanted to. Nowadays, you can't go to any kind of computer or anything that's not in either New York, which is pretty much dead at this point for computer shows, or the San Francisco Bay Area or Los Angeles. But most of them are in your backyard, Mike, in in, uh, San Francisco area. So I don't know. I kind of wish that they would spread this this around a little bit. I'll tell you, What's I, really, I really miss the Macworld Expo in New York at the, the Javits Center. That, that, those were always a lot of fun. Do you really think, though, I, I don't think Apple will ever s- agree to a, a second expo anymore. Do you, Mike? No, I mean, Apple has actually stated on the record that they're moving away from you know individual announcements and more toward uh, you know much smaller uh, incremental releases. Do you think that Apple eventually will back out of the Macworld Expo, or do you think there's still a place in uh, today's Internet world for a Macworld Expo where people can physically get together and show off their products and have a good time? You know, the thing about the Macworld Expo is that uh, it, right now it, it, it could, it could kind of go either way. Uh, it hasn't really been a lot of fun for the past couple of years, I don't think. And, uh, you know, it, it seems to be getting revitalized a little bit. And the question, I think, is going to be, you know, is Macworld going to end up being uh, something that's super awesome uh, that that people are going to look forward to every year, or is it just going to you know be this big time drain uh, and, and and you know you get everybody kind of riled up, um, you know, and waste a lot of money? I mean, if it ends up continuing to be awesome, then I think Apple will back it, and uh, if it uh, if it kind of goes to crap, then then I think Apple will pull out. I think a lot of it though depends on Apple. If Apple releases. Uh, the big new product, I mean, this year it was the MacBook Air. Last year it was the iPhone. In fact, I have an article up at MyMac.com on the feature side looking at this, this decade of Macworld Expos, and almost every Macworld Expo had a major announcement that was a really cool product. So I think that the success or the failure of the Macworld Expo really is on Apple's shoulders. If they don't release anything that's really cool and gets people fired up, the rest of the Expo kind of seems like a drag. No, well, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with that because the thing is, you know, I've gone to WWDCs where Apple's announcements have just been kind of, you know, blah, and uh, still had a magnificent time. You know, they, WWDC is a is a fantastic expo. They put it on, you know, it, it's a lot of fun. Uh, you know, MacWorld is like here's a fantastic announcement from Apple, and now here's a conference that I is just just a big pain in my ass. You know, it's like they, 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 you know, like last year, the air conditioning was like not working. And so the whole, yeah, I noticed was sweltering. I mean, it was ridiculous. You know, it, it gets to the point where it's like a health hazard. And, mm-hmm. and it, you know, it, it just, you know, the problem is you start to get careless after a while because you just have this, you know, everybody's going to come here to see Apple make a big announcement. And then, uh, you know, uh, the expo can suck and nobody's going to care because everybody's so excited about Apple. But what's going to happen if the expo sucks and then Apple makes an announcement that nobody cares about? You know, then the whole thing's going to fall apart and nobody's going to care the next year. And then, you know, it's going to snowball or what if it, it, or if it was super awesome 
And like I said, you know, it, it looks like they're expanding, so hopefully this is going to get to be super awesome. But if it was super awesome, it wouldn't, ca- you know, nobody would care what Apple announced. And Apple, you know, wouldn't drop out of it if it was awesome because people would just, you know, like to see them there. So, what do you think that the what do you think IDG needs to do to make the Macworld Expo awesome? What uh, needs to change? Well, you know, for one thing, I think that it's uh, for for exhibitors. It has really gotten to be uh, just a bend over and take it kind of thing. You know, the prices are outrageously expensive. Uh, everything, you know, all the add-ons are tremendously expensive. Uh, you know, you have to deal with with with, with the sort of union thuggery. Uh, well, you got to do that anywhere, though. I mean, the, you're just, always going to have to well, deal with the union. But, but see, this is the thing, though. You know, they're not competing with uh, you know seven other expos worldwide. They're competing with expos that are just a big pain in the ass. And you know, now that we have the App Store. And now that we have the internet, and now that we don't need to all, you know, literally assemble in one city once a year to uh, to get all of our stuff out, uh, you know, maybe we don't have to deal with this crap anymore. And yep. and you know, I, I'm seriously debating because you know we I went through this you know three years ago uh, with Delicious Library, and uh, I don't know if I want to do it uh, for United Lemur because at the end of the day, you don't really make a lot of money. Uh, it's a huge pain in the ass, and 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 it's not you know it's not a matter of of I'm making money or, or not making money or you know meeting the customers or not meeting the customers. It's a matter of do I feel like I've been ripped off at the end? You know, do I as an exhibitor have fun? Because I have to have yeah. fun, you know, putting on the show, or else I'm not going to want to put on the show, and then there's not going to be a show for people to see, and they're not going to want to come to the expo, and you know, it, it's just a big cycle that feeds off itself. Well, from I- our side as a publication that covers the Macworld Expo, for us. You know, obviously, whatever Apple releases on the first day during the Steve Jobs keynote, um, we cover that. Although last year they wouldn't even let us in the keynote, which is a whole different story I don't really want to get into right now because I'll just get angry again. Um, but for us, it's an opportunity to meet face-to-face with a lot of the vendors, to look at products that we probably wouldn't see because we get inundated with PR email. I get, you know, I've been doing this for almost 15 years now, writing for and uh, owning my Mac magazine. So I get more PR than you could possibly imagine. Um, and half of it I don't even look at anymore. I just don't have the time. But during the Macworld Expo, when it's condensed to four days and I'm walking the showroom floor, I can literally look at products at these booths and touch them and decide which ones I want to stop and look at, which ones I just want to keep walking past. I don't need to see some um, guy's booth that has... Uh, the Mac Pro is h- hanging under a desk. His whole product is, you know, you can bolt your Mac to your desk. I, I, it's not really worth my time to stop and look at it. But yet there's also going to be the time that I'm going to see a product that maybe I got a, pro- a PR notification on or not, but it's going to catch my eye. We're going to stop. We're going to cover that product. We're going to talk about it on the daily podcast during the Macro Expo. We're going to write an article on it. We're going to get in touch with them to pro- do a product review. So for us... We look at it as the vendors that are at the Macworld Expo really aren't there for the public to come in and see their product because most of the public's not going to be there. Most of the Mac users are never going to go to Macworld. It's really about people like us, uh, the press, covering your product, getting to know you, getting to know your product, um, and getting in. We basically become free PR for you guys. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a great theory. And when it works that way, it's fantastic. But the problem is that, you know, it seems like the past few years, in order for you to get to that hidden gem, uh, the hidden gem, you have to battle your way past, you know, 90 uh, iPod accessory makers. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and We've talked like, about that, too. It seems like the thing is laid out specifically 
so that, you know, it, imagine if all the stuff that didn't suck was just in a little tiny booth. Like, you could actually just, you know, cut 90% of the whole expo out and it would be like, here's all of the good stuff. And, I would agree 100%. There's a lot of, I can't tell you how many times I'm walking by and. Oh, yeah, I mean, all, it, all of this demand, you know, the fact that there's no space, uh, the fact that everything is so expensive, that's just artificially created because it's just, it's yep. just so much filler. Yeah. Well, I would I, wish they would open all three halls and spread it out. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'd be more walking, but man, you know, I'm going next to one booth where it's a bunch of uh, USB Christmas trees and crap like that looking for a Mac product. And then when I finally find something that's worth talking about, half the time there's no one at that booth, or if there are people at the booth, it's it's I don't want to come across as ageist or anything like that, but it's some old guy that's been to every single Mac world. He doesn't write anything. Uh, he just happens to live in the area, and he stands there and talks to the vendors for 20 minutes on a product he's never going to buy, and he's sitting there talking about all of the time, the fun times he's had at the Macworld Expo, where I'm standing there as press that's going to help the company, and I can't get into the booth to talk to the guy because this guy in front of me, you know, the neckbeard guy, <laughs> shut up and get out of the way. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I, imagine... It's, it's, yeah, it's interesting you say that. Uh, Tim, I, I, you know, I, I agree with you, Mike. I think IDG actually needs to think about this very carefully. You look at what happened with, with, um, with the other trade shows in the US, Comdex and, and things like that. They've all, they've all run into financial trouble. They've all had to restructure. They are all now starting to, to become more press orientated events. But, but even there, you know, in, in today's world where, where, you know, there'll be a whole pile of bloggers there and, the, and there'll be people streaming the thing on, on quick and, and, you know, the, the video, the video blogs and, and the, the video podcasts will be there and, and they, they'll be walking around doing video segments on, on things that you could argue there's, there's maybe there's incentive for, for other press sites not to even go themselves and just see, you know, cover it remotely on the internet. And, and if that starts to happen, then, you know, the attendance will go down. The whole thing will implode because it won't be financially viable. So I think IDG needs to, you know, um, realize what side their bread is buttered and, uh, you know, cater for that really and, and sweeten the whole deal up. Yeah, but what, 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 what is that, though? Is it the public letting the public come in like they do now? They, they well, pay, the, you know, sh- 25, sh- 50 bucks to get in? They shouldn't. They shouldn't ban the public from going. And I think the conference track is a good thing for the public to do. But I think they need to recognise the show floor should be perhaps a bit more press friendly than it is. In fact, the whole show should be a little bit more press friendly than it currently is. I always thought there should be one day. Well, it's a four-day event. Two days for the public. The first and the second day for public to come in, look at the booths, and then the third and the fourth day is just press on. And I know a lot of our listeners that go to the expo are like, "Screw you, Tim." But uh, quite honestly, we're going to, as press, as as a as someone that runs MyMac.com that has between, like last year, we had what? Well, I say last year, this year, technically. We had, what, 10, 11 people covering the event at the Macworld Expo? Yeah. If, if the public would have been there for at least two of those days and, and our writers could simply go up to the booth and talk to someone, we would have had much better coverage uh, and... You know, our readers would have got a lot better and a lot more informed information from the Macworld Expo than they got. Now, here's an idea. Okay, what if I proposed this? What if I said, I'm going to put on a show, and the show is going to be a very small show for maybe 100 companies, and I'm going to handpick these companies, companies that I think have, have really amazing products, something that's new, something that's pushing the platform forward. And these companies aren't going to have to pay for their booths, so they're going to be able to, you know, they're going to be on a good equal footing to, to show you what they have, 
and you know maybe some some excellent you know demos and and just really good access. Okay, it's going to be a one day event, and if you're interested in something like this, maybe because you're a member of the media or something like that, you can come. You can buy a ticket for a reasonable price, you know, just to pay for the facility. Come in and get you know hands on demos to really understand this stuff and explain it to your readers. I mean, when you have all of that and you take out the whole like you know crazy business circus carnival fair uh, you know ride aspect of it, it would actually be something that would, I think would be really awesome, a lot smaller, a lot more sustainable, and a lot more annoying. Uh, I'm sorry, a lot less annoying for everybody. The problem with that is the companies that are there are the companies that have money, and the press that are there usually don't have crap money. The money isn't in covering these things. Uh, sites like MyMac. Even the big sites, they don't make money, not real money. Where the companies, the developers, you guys actually make money. You you have people that pay for your product and help sustain you. We don't have that revenue. We have advertising. This comes down to the value of time, right? If you have nothing but time that you can send your reporting team uh, to a four-day expo to have to, you know, juggle around a bunch of crap to search out the rare gems and go on like a little treasure hunt, if, if you have that kind of time, uh, then you know you're right. That model is awesome, and Macworld is perfect. But if you don't have a lot of time, and you'd like to get in, maybe spend you know maybe six hours, uh, you know, have a little bit of uh, rest time for yourself to kind of think about things, uh, to you know actually get a, a very firm handle on this, and not have to deal with some crazy old man babbling on about back in the day, and not have to dig for the stories, and not have to you know deal with crap companies. You know, the stories are all there, and and, and you know. It, that would save you a lot of time, and for some people, that would be more valuable. And I'm not talking about you know outrageously large amounts of money. We're talking about the cost of a ticket, you know, maybe forty, fifty bucks. I mean, I don't think it'd have to be that much. Yeah, I, I think it could work. I think it's a very interesting idea. It would have yeah. to be the right mix of companies that are there, and it would have to be enough companies where uh, because no press, one press outlet, it's going to cover every single company. But you're going to have to have enough companies that have outstanding products that really are worth your time it's it's an interesting concept and uh it's one that i think that if somebody ran it we would probably send one or two people to it but we wouldn't send 10 people to it um it's interesting though i, I kind of like the idea yeah but you wouldn't need to send 10 people to it because exactly you have to Be- spread out to hunt for treasure you would just go there Yep. Say, you know, there's going to be this X number of interesting things, you know, send these guys there and, and, you know, you save money in the long run because you don't have to pay 10 people. Yeah, that's true. I like that. That's pretty cool. Good idea. But I don't think it's going to happen because I think the Macworld Expo is here for, um, I see at least another three years before, uh, bandwidth gets cheap enough that, uh, places like MyMac.com, um, we could stream audio and video and it doesn't cost us a dime. We can't really do that right now. We can if we use uh, upstream or uStream or that kind of thing, but the quality just isn't there good enough yet. You can't really get detailed product shots and that sort of thing. So I don't know. It's In one respect, the Internet is so fast and, and the user base is so broad that it only makes sense to cover these events from your computer. It's not really worth my time as a user to go all the way to San Francisco and, and spend thousands of dollars just to go in this madhouse and look at a couple vendors and maybe you get a little bit of free swag, you get a t-shirt and you call it a day. You know, I I see that coming to an end eventually. Interesting though. We'll see where we are 10 years from now. (laughs) So we're almost at the hour and a half mark. So we're going to wrap up this show. We'll be back next week. We don't actually have a guest lined up right now, but Oh, maybe we'll get somebody on the show. Uh, you going to be here again, David, or are you going on another cruise? No, I'm I'm in here for the duration now. 
Guy Searle, you going to be here next week? As far as I know, I don't think I have anything planned. Okay. Uh, Mike, this is an open invitation. Anytime you want to drop in and say hi, and uh, this is the kind of thing we do every week. We just talk about technology, Macs, um, iPhones. If it's interesting, we talk about it. And, and we don't necessarily concentrate just on the Mac. Uh, that's just what all of our listeners generally have in common. We're all Mac users. But we all have very diverse opinions and interests. So it's kind of fun. I have a good time doing it. No way to uh, you know, play poker over Skype. Uh, this would be the perfect arrangement. Absolutely. <laughs> you just came up with a new killer app. Poker over Skype. Working on it. Scope. Just call it Scope. Scope. All right, we're out of here. Thanks for downloading the MyMac.com podcast. You can subscribe to this podcast at our RSS feed at MyMac.com or by visiting the iTunes Music Store's podcast section. Please send all feedback to MyMacPodcast at gmail.com. And thanks for listening to the MyMac.com podcast.